This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. And welcome to December, friends. Hope you're Warm and safe and close to loved ones, wherever you are. Uh, Owen Wolf is my technical producer. Ryan White is my live stream producer. And we are live streaming on the YouTube channel, Strange Planet Tonight. Uh, Open lines, open lines in the second half of the program. Your moment to shine, your moment to ask me, well, just about anything. You can talk about a recent paranormal encounter, UFO sighting, a conspiracy theory. Uh, Just do me a favor and bring your A material. Uh, That's in hour two, open lines. This hour, Paul L. Williams, PhD, investigates the true motives and consequences of the Pilgrim Society. Early members of the Pilgrim Society included J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, Andrew Mellon, Cornelius Vanderbilt, Paul Warburg, Mortimer Schiff, Otto Kahn, and John D. Rockefeller. Although the Pilgrim Society and the powerful men involved are often praised for their philanthropic actions, my uh, guest tonight, Paul Williams, reveals that the society was self-serving and subjected the American people to a brutal system of economic tyranny one which is still in place today paul williams is a journalist and author he served as a consultant for the fbi editor and publisher of the metro in scranton pennsylvania as well as an adjunct professor of humanities at the university of scranton he is the co-author or author of a number of books including osama's revenge the next 9-11 the vatican exposed Operation Gladio, The Killing of Uncle Sam, and his latest, co-authored by Rodney Howard Brown, is Killing the Planet, How a Financial Cartel Doomed Mankind. Paul, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Well, it's great to be back with you, Richard. Uh, 
hope everything's okay with you up there in Canada. Well, it's uh, it's December, and accordingly, uh, you know, we're getting uh, seasonal weather. We're getting the cold and the ice and the snow and so forth. But uh, that's to be expected. I mean, what, you're what happens you're, to you're, global you're, warming? And that's that. that we're <laughs> going to be talking about that. Now it's climate exactly. change. Of course. Uh, and I understand yes. all the polar bears are happy. and uh, They are uh, thriving. They are absolutely yeah. <laughs> thriving, the polar bear population. <laughs> Funny thing, that, right? They don't talk about the polar bears anymore. They've gone the way of the uh, the hockey stick. There anyway, uh, let's. I want to delve into the Rockefeller family tree just for a minute here because a lot of people, they're familiar with John D. Rockefeller. They're familiar with David Rockefeller, who lived to the ripe old age. I think he was 104 or something. <laughs> Uh, but many people may not be familiar with John D. Rockefeller's father, who was a bit of a scoundrel, to say the least. Tell us about his dad. Well, his dad was known as Devil Bill, and he passed himself off as a doctor, as somebody who could cure cancer. And uh, he traveled throughout uh, the, the southern states and the eastern states uh, back in the 1840s and the 1850s. And uh, once again, he, he peddled uh, a cure for cancer. And uh, he called himself Dr. William uh, Livingston. And his real name uh, was, of course, uh, William Rockefeller. And uh, he, he was a horse thief when he went to town and, uh, and sold uh, uh, his uh, snake oil. He would almost always steal a horse uh, and... Uh, and hitch it to his carriage and uh, head out of town. He was also a child molester. He was wow. uh, he was a bigamist. He was a, an, an all-around scoundrel. And he taught his sons uh, how to cheat, and he was very proud of that. He said that I, I teach my sons how to cheat every chance I get and how to make a crooked buck. And that lesson, lesson didn't uh, – was – well received by his uh, eldest son, uh, John D. Rockefeller, who uh, uh, in the in the in the eighteen seventies uh, <clears throat> managed uh, to gain control by crooked means of the oil industry. Uh, the The oil industry, uh, of course, was flourishing that time in Pennsylvania. Drake's Folly, they called it, and uh, Rockefeller by cooking a deal where. Uh, he got control of all the refineries by by making a deal with the railroad companies so that they were charging all the all the other uh, people involved in the oil industry considerably more money to to trans to transport their oil than he than he had to uh, he, he had to pay he eventually gained control of all the oil refineries and by the turn of the 20th century he gained he he he, he controlled 90% of all the oil in the United States. But uh, what was the oil being used for, Paul? Because uh, the, the automobile uh, was in, initially, I think, designed to run on ethanol exactly. when Henry Ford conceived the idea. So what was oil being used for back then, primarily? Well, really, when, when at first, that's why they said Drake's Folly, because when, you, when you're going back to the 1860s, and, uh, there was very little use for oil. Uh, the, the real... The real worth of oil came about in about 1870 when it could be refined into kerosene and, and used to light lamps throughout the world. Uh, right. This was, of course, before gas. And, and all, the, uh, the, all the houses throughout the United States, because of the development of, of uh, 
of kerosene were lit by were were lit by oil. And <clears throat> what happened is when when Henry Henry Ford developed the cars, they were they were meant to Ford said that the that the the cars the automobile industry would be the greatest boon ever for uh, farmers throughout the United States and Canada because the uh, the the cars would run on on fermented vegetables, corn, right. wheat, any anything, any vegetable that you could ferment, apples, anything that you could ferment, you could use as fuel. And Ford always believed his cars were built to run on you know on, on ethanol. And what what Rockefeller did, uh, which was kind of ingenious, Rockefeller funded the uh, the the, pro, the 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 uh, prohibition movement. Uh, to, to outlaw the sale of alcohol throughout the uh-huh. in fermented uh, substances throughout the United States, he funded that almost uh, single handedly. So what happened was that the the farmers then who were producing moonshine that could have uh, fueled the cars had to put poison in their ethanol, which made it unusable for 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 automobiles. So. John D. Rockefeller was very, very ingenious, and the entire oil industry was really developed by him. Think about this. Like, to this day, you know, almost everything is run, I mean, all, all the cars, and uh, the, the, the number one fuel throughout the world remains oil. And that was really uh, Rockefeller's uh, ingenuity. But by the turn so, of the, so, the 20th century. So without century, prohibition, excuse me, Paul, but this is important uh, because this is something I hadn't really connected, which you just did so brilliantly. And that is without prohibition, if prohibition hadn't happened, we'd be driving around cars fueled on <clears throat> ethanol. Absolutely. So did Absolutely. he bribe congressmen in order to, to, to bring in, uh, what was that? Was that the 13th Amendment, the prohibition? But yeah, and what he did was even 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 more ingenious. He didn't even work through the government. What he did was he worked through local temperance societies and through churches. He set up a foundation, and he would give these uh, these temperance leagues and uh, uh, people who were uh, and church groups. He would give them incredible amounts of money to run a campaign about to uh, so that uh, alcohol would be outlawed. And he really did that from the grassroots. But the foundation, what happened was with the foundations that he set up, fueled the prohibition movement. It was totally Rockefeller. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Something I came now, from. Right. How did you and, and, while writing uh, Killing the Planet? But this guy was. <laughs> John D. Rockefeller. Uh, was well. First of all, he, he he not only he not only created the oil industry and the natural gas industry, but he also funded the Russian Revolution. People aren't aware of that. He also was the main sponsor of socialism. He also gave rise to uh, really the educational systems throughout the United States and Canada through his foundations, and that was all very ingenious because he he could control education and and and, and by that. Uh, really control uh, the minds of, of of the people of North America simply by giving the colleges and universities incredible amounts of money. And the, the colleges and universities became completely reliant on his foundations to meet their expenses. As a matter of fact, to this day, and this is, this is interesting, Richard, 
uh, one third of the budget of all the colleges and universities in the United States is uh, comes from foundations, largely the Rockefeller foundations. So they wow. continue to control education. Well, let me just back up a minute to the uh, the Russian Revolution. Uh, oh. Why did he Why did he get behind the Bolsheviks? Why did he support the revolution? Well, he always wanted. He always believed that competition was a sin, and he always wanted to be the sole provider of the commodity that he was he was invested in, whether it be natural gas or oil or later even banking. Uh, but you see, socialism, I mean, even communism, suited his ends because socialism, you had the complete control of industry by the government. And that's all well and good, but the government still has to get money. And if he could control the money that's being provided to the government, he could control the whole nine yards. He realized that from the beginning. Trotsky, Leon Trotsky, as a matter of fact, before the Russian Revolution, was uh, he, he was housed in in a property owned by Standard Oil. Aha! Uh-huh. He was trans mm-hmm. he was he, he was transported to Russia by the Rockefellers, and they also fascinating. They also after the, the uh, turn of the century, sponsored almost all the leading. Uh, uh, communist uh, propaganda uh, uh, machines throughout North America. Uh, the newspapers, the periodicals, the radio programs. Amazing. Now, Standard Oil, Teddy Roosevelt uh, decided he wanted to bust up that monopoly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't work, though, exactly, did it? Why didn't it? Why, why well, not? You see that once, once again, you, you got a guy who's, who's really... You, you got This is one thing. John D. Rockefeller, from the time he was born, and the Rockefellers to this day, they're born with the pathological fear of poverty that they're going to lapse back into uh, into the state from which the the, the great great grandfather uh, 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 where he lived, and uh, they, they, there's there, there's a pathological fear of once again of poverty. So. They want to control everything, and they 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 they, they realized that they had to control. Uh, you know, they, they they wanted to control the government. They wanted to control education. When they developed uh, uh, petrochemicals, they they found out a way to control the medical industry. So that to this day, that the, the the schools, the medical schools, receive most of their funding from the the Rockefeller foundations, and the doctors are taught to uh, deal in petrochemicals. Holistic doctors were put out of business, all by the Rockefellers. So, the, so even even the drugs that people are taking for cancer, chemotherapy is, is mustard gas. That's controlled by the Rockefeller family. Uh, the the number one controllers of of, of radium uh, are the Rockefeller foundations and and families. So uh, when people are, are treated with uh, with with uh, with radium and when they're treated with chemotherapy. They're increasing the Rockefeller fortune. Unbelievable. Do you have an estimate, an estimated worth of the family right now? The American uh, American Legal uh, Association. Right. I do want to get to that. But I I just wanted to ask you about the the uh, do you have a handle on how much the estimated wealth of the the Rockefeller uh, family is at this point? Are we talking trillions? Oh, man. But you got to realize that, first of all, if. Richard, just just can, and most people are unaware. We're not talking about conspiracy. This is all fact. 
the number one share, the shareholder, the one who controls the one family that controls most of the shares of the Federal Reserve is the Rockefeller family. Let's start with that. that right. They, right. So, look at their money is is oh man, it's 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 it goes into everything, everything that you every, every everything that you. Uh, uh, everything that you need in order for you to live, including even the green industries, all all these, the, the food, the food, in Monsanto, all the food industries, the genetically modified uh, organisms that, that constitute a lot of the food that we buy, all that comes from the Rockefellers. So mm-hmm. how in the world can you, you estimate their wealth? You can look at one thing in Chase Manhattan Bank, what is that worth? You know, you go from there to what are the, what are the various oil companies? You you look at the different oil companies, uh, you know, uh, Atlantic Richfield, Exxon. Uh, they're all owned by the Rockefellers. There's no well, that's I was mentioning. I was mentioning the, Teddy Roosevelt. I was mentioning Teddy Roosevelt trying to smash the monopoly, but that's what happened. He just formed all these other little companies, right? He got around all, it. That, that was that served him even the, the Rockefellers even to a greater extent. Ah. Um, I mentioned this to you last time we spoke, Paul, but uh, I just wanted to mention it to my listeners on this uh, this program. You were mentioning that, you know, how the Rockefellers even get behind the green movement. And uh, up here, of course, we have uh, the oil sands uh, out in Alberta and uh, they can't get their oil to market because they're landlocked. And we have a federal government that has not managed to build pipelines to the West Coast so that we could get that oil on tanker ships and over to. Uh, overseas markets, so it's it's landlocked, and of course the uh, the the oil industry in Alberta has been uh, vilified uh, by all these environmental groups uh, who who uh, insist on keeping the oil in the ground and so forth. Well, uh, a uh, an investigator by the name of Vivian Krauss out in Alberta uh, did some heavy heavy research, and who did she find was funding? All of these environmental groups that was trying to keep oh, yeah. Alberta oil in the ground, the Rockefeller Foundation. Right. 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 Uh, Unbelievable. Absolutely. And that there, there, you see that what's going to happen in the future, I believe, is that uh, the, the world's money, which is based on nothing right now, it's not based on the gold standard. It's not based on even petrodollars anymore. It's going to be paid based on carbon emissions. Gore was aware of that. Uh, mm. And you, you, there were different com- countries right now are dealing in, in trading uh, r- rationing coupons for carbon, so that uh, if if a, if 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 a country can amass a great deal of these of these coupons, uh, <clears throat> they're going to be able to to use the most energy. And the the other countries that that don't have. The the, uh, the the don't have the the the, the rationing uh, coupons uh, will be relying on you know on uh, the people who hold the the the, 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 the coupons uh, for their existence. But we're seeing right. that take place right now. Uh, that that the, the the future once again the, the, all the currency in the world will be based on carbon emissions. The Rockefellers are aware of that. So they're very heavily involved now in green energy. And they're, they're, <laughs> they have they have us coming and going. Involved right now in climate change and in in, in different forms of uh, in procedures, including HARP, uh, that can control the climate. 
So, uh, I mean, that's all, it's all, everything that we do right now, this is what I found when I was doing the research for killing the planet. I, I think that, that, that the Rockefellers, what they started, that, what that family started it, during the 20th century, uh, is, affects every single person on the globe right now. Previously, we're just coming up to a break here, but I just wanted to mention, you know, previously uh, after John D. Rockefeller, we had uh, a number of the Rockefeller families that were sort of very highly, they were public figures. We had uh, Nelson Rockefeller, of course, who was a vice president. We had uh, uh, J. Rockefeller. We had David Rockefeller. They've all passed on. Who is sort of the face now of the Rockefeller family? We don't hear much about this person. Well, I mean, there, there, there's so many different. There, you, you're not dealing with the fifth generation people like Stephen Rockefeller, you know, Lawrence Rockefeller. I mean, Jay Rockefeller's sons, Jay Rockefeller Jr. Right. You know, uh, John D. Rockefeller the fifth. You know, I mean, they're, they're 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 still around. The family is still, of course, very active and very much involved. But really, what they gave rise to was a a, a, a machine, a huge corporate machine. I don't know who controls it right now, but it controls us. And Indeed. that's the important thing, because it's it's all, it was all for in, in the beginning about gain, about the putting an end to capitalism, about spreading uh, socialism. Uh, and we're seeing it all come to fruition right, right now. 42% of millennials say they would they would like to live in a socialist country. That's scary. We'll take a time out. Paul L. Williams, PhD, journalist, author, his latest, co-authored by Rodney Howard Brown, is Killing the Planet, How a Financial Cartel Doomed Mankind. This is The Conspiracy Show. I'm Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Keeping a watchful eye on the new world order. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Killing the Planet. How a Financial Cartel Doomed Mankind. Co-author uh, Paul L. Williams, Ph.D., is my guest for the hour. Coming up in the second hour, just a reminder, open lines. So have your stories, questions, queries, dissertations um, uh, at the ready. You've got uh, 35 minutes to uh, to practice in front of a mirror. You were mentioning the the control of the education system. Uh, are there Rockefeller subsidiaries that are responsible for writing the textbooks? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> the the way that works is uh, the foundations. Once again, the foundations were created. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundations in the in the uh, right before right before and during World War One, and what they did was they began providing an incredible amount of funding to colleges, small colleges and large colleges throughout Canada and throughout the United States. And what what would happen is the colleges would receive these benefactions from the Rockefeller Foundation for a year, two years, three years, and. Then finally, at the fourth year, when they applied for the funding, they wouldn't get it. And they would say, well, you know, what's the problem? We need the funding right now because we're relying on it. We build all these new buildings. We have a new faculty. We have expanded our faculty. We uh, we need the money. And <clears throat> the Rockefeller Foundation inevitably said, oh, yeah, but, you know, you will receive the funding, but we just need something in return. 
we just need you to change your 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 curricula in certain areas. We need you to uh, institute programs not in history but in social social science. We need you to uh, to develop new courses in anthropology rather than religion or philosophy. Uh, we need we need you to, to uh, change the head of your department here and, and, and there. We need to put a couple of members of our of our foundation on your board. And eventually what they did by that by that singular means is they gained control of all the, really, of all the colleges, the private colleges, and even the public uh, uh, institutions uh, in North America. I, I saw it. It, it. it happened in seminaries. What they, what they would do is they would fund seminaries, Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Drew, Union, all the leading seminaries. Uh, and uh, the seminaries would receive the, the funding year after year after year, and then the, the, the people from the Rockefeller Foundation would come in and say, oh, by the way, you know, you, you're putting too much uh, emphasis in your, in your courses on the supernatural, on the supernatural acts of Jesus, for instance. And we would prefer if you just concentrated on the social gospel. And you know, we 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 really think that you know, if you start to uh, to develop the idea that the the early Christians were lived uh, 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 as as communists, uh, we would we would we would fund that course, and in that way they gain control of all the university or the seminaries, and they they really in that way by educating in the sense of seminaries. Uh, are the way in which ministers were educated? They changed what was what was being preached from churches, you know, throughout throughout uh, throughout North America. That uh, explains a lot because I I mentioned to you I grew up in the Methodist Church, the United Church now. Oh, that, that, that and, uh, and the Methodist Church absolutely when they're, they're, the Methodist seminaries, the leading Methodist seminaries, uh, Duke, Drew here in the United States completely relying on, on the Rockefeller Foundation. I've seen that. It makes a lot of sense now, uh, Paul, because what what has happening is, and I left the Methodist Church, the United Church, I grew up in it, it was wonderful, it instilled a wonderful sense of fellowship. It was a little weak on the worship side, but there was lots of fellowship. But what happened was, you have all these um, United Church ministers now who are uh, preaching, and there are a number of them that do not even subscribe to the divinity of oh, Christ. No, 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 no. Ab- absolutely, Richard. I've seen it. I've seen people in. Uh, I've taught in seminaries throughout the, the, and I've seen people come in who are devout believers, de- de- believe fervently believe in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. I've seen w- within one week their faith shattered, and it's very easy. What they what the professors do is they'll say, well, the most important aspect of the life of Jesus is probably the resurrection. So look at the account in Matthew, and, and then they, they say, what do you see in Matthew? Who was the first one that appeared at the tomb? What time of day was it? What did that one person, who did that person tell about the resurrection? What did they do? And they, they put down exactly what happened in Matthew, what exactly what happened in, in Mark, what, what exactly what happened in Luke, and what exactly what happened in John. And then they'll, they'll be all written in front of the students, and they'll say, notice how every aspect of these stories conflict with one another. And that shows you that the event never occurred. Mm-hmm. That's They're the sowing the seeds of doubt. That's what, that, that, that's the, and these people come out of 
of seminaries. And once again, it's, it serves the purpose of the, the foundation because they're promoting globalism and a one world religion. And this, this suits their needs. So that, that, that by the end of their, uh, their seminary education, they'll believe that any form of worship is equally efficacious, equally, uh, e- equally mean- meaningful. Uh, and that, you know, Christians have no real claim, exclusive claim on the truth. I've seen that. I've seen that time and time again. But it, it, it was all, it's all according, it was all set, this entire strategy was set by the Rockefellers. It's nefarious, but I've seen it done. Uh-huh, to say the least, to say the least. I would just want to back up a little bit and talk about the Pilgrim Society. And of course, oh, yeah. the Rockefellers are, are uh, you know, central to that. But there were other families you know, the Morgans and so forth. Um, what was the purpose? I mean, on, uh, ostensibly it was to do philanthropic work, but what were they doing behind the scenes? The, the, you, let, let's just cut to where, where the Pilgrim Society came from. In, uh, in 1887, Cecil John Rhodes uh, formed the Society of the Elect, a secret society, to promote global government under British rule. And he formed the Society of the Elect with uh, Nathan Rothschild. And members of that society included the most influential people in England, Lord Reginald Brett, who was Queen Victoria's closest advisor, Lord Rosebery, who would become British, uh, Britain's Prime Minister, Arthur Balfour, or Lord Balfour, who would be, also become a Prime Minister, uh, uh, William Stead, who was Britain's leading uh, uh, journalist, uh, Alfred Milner, who had become governor of, of South Africa. These, these were members of, and the, the, the society of the elect wanted to take control first of, they wanted to take control of Africa. And they instituted the Second Boer War, which was very successful. They manipulated the whole thing. And the next step was to affect the reunion of the United States with Great Britain. That's what they wanted to do. And in order to do that, they, they morphed the members of the Society of the Elect, same people that we're talking about, except that uh, Rhodes was dead. Rothschild, Nathan Rothschild, Roseberry, Brett, Balfour, Stead, Milner, all these same people formed the Pilgrim Society in London, They're going back in 1902. Within six months, they formed the... Uh, Pilgrim Society in New York that met at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. The, the members of the uh, Pilgrim Society in London were the most powerful people in Britain. The members of the Pilgrim Society in New York were the most powerful people in America. J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, Cornelius Vanderbilt, William Howard Taft, who would become president shortly, uh, Grover Cleveland, who was the former president, Paul Warburg of Kuhn Loeb, uh, Nelson Aldrich, a senator, Mark Twain, hmm. John D. Rockefeller, Vincent Astor. Yeah, the list goes on. But what they wanted to do is, number number one thing, is they wanted to form an alliance between a, a, new, a new union between Great Britain and the United States. And the, 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 first, the first step in doing that, this, this, these are the pilgrims, was to create a central central bank in the United States. And therefore, the same people that we're talking about are the people, the members of the Pilgrim Society went to Jekyll, Jekyll Island and created the Federal Reserve System. 
Right. That was rammed through uh, Congress during the Christmas break when many members were absent. Most never even read the bill. Mark Twain, uh, we're just about heading into the break here, but very quickly, did Mark Twain know the sort of this, maybe the sinister motives or was he just joining what he thought was a social club and something because he was interested in philanthropy? So, no, Mark Twain, if you, if you read letters from the earth was, was adamantly uh, opposed to Christianity, adamantly opposed to uh, American, uh, despite the fact that he wrote Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. He also wrote Innocence Abroad in which, you know, he, he, No, he was a, a rabid Anglophile who wanted to bring about this this union. He was not, a, a, you know, a red-blooded yank. All right. We'll uh, step away momentarily, come back. More of my conversation with Dr. Paul Williams, the co-author of Killing the Planets. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with Paul Williams, co-author of Killing the Planet. We're talking about the Rockefeller family, the Rockefeller Foundations. There's a spider web of uh, control, manipulation. And um, you were mentioning the, uh, the attempt to essentially get the colony back under British control. That Mad, Mad King George III had lost in 1776, and so if we look at history sort of uh, through that lens, it's uh, an attempt to get the colony back. I'm wondering about your thoughts. We just passed the 56th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. Some see that as a, a coup d'etat, an attempt to get the executive branch more firmly under control. Um, was that part of the 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 the, the pilgrim? Were the Pil- was the Pilgrim Society involved? Were the Rockefellers involved? Well, if I if, I, if you allow me to backtrack, when you know, so I can make that bridge. Uh, yes. What happened with the the Pilgrim Society? You're dealing with an organization that was created in 1903, and uh, they brought about they they created the uh, the Federal Reserve System. They 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 really instigated World War One. And at the end of World War One, they wanted to bring about the League of Nations so that a new a new global government. When that failed, the Pilgrim Society in London morphed into the Royal Institute of International Affairs, also known as the Chatham House. In the United States, the Pilgrim Society in New York morphed into the Council on Foreign Relations. The Council on Foreign Relations was controlled once again by these same, very same people. But the most powerful influence and the gatekeeper of the Council on Foreign Relations was John D. Rockefeller Jr. And that organization, from that organization, and once again, they, when you're dealing with that was created in 19, in 1920, there were let, there were, there were, there were less than 200 members. And yet out of that organization, by by 2019, the United States has 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 witnessed from the Council of Foreign Relations 20 secretaries of state, 19 secretaries of defense, 21 CIA directors. Every, almost every chairman of the Federal Reserve has come from that same pool. The Council on Foreign Relations is 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 organized the same way the Pilgrim Society 
was organized as a circle within a circle. There's an inner nucleus that controls the whole thing, that prepares policy uh, papers that are really eventually drafted into national policy and international policy. The CIA came from the Council on Foreign Relations, from the bowels of the United Nations came from the Council on Foreign Relations. So what, what, what took place once that, that, that organization was created and began to amass more and more political and economic power, uh, when you had a guy like Kennedy, who decided to to, to, to take the uh, uh, control of the currency away from the Federal Reserve System and to place it under the Department of the Treasury under government control? Right after he announces he his plans to do that, I mean he's dead. Well, right. You right. have to look who are the shareholders of the uh, uh, who are the shareholders of the Federal Reserve at that time. The major shareholders. Uh, also, who was controlling the State Department at that time? Who was controlling, you know, even who was controlling the press at that time? You see, if you, I was a member of the press. I wrote for the leading newspapers in the United States. And if you wanted to get, if you wanted to get the inside news, Richard, you couldn't get it by, you know, talking to you or talking. This is in the day now. I'm 75. But as a, as a journalist, as a, as a, as a journalist who was hired by, leading news agencies you had to go to the you had to go to the pratt house in new york the council on foreign relations you had to get entry in there in order to find out what was going on within the country because the the all the rich and powerful industrialists bankers businessmen politicians all gathered there if you didn't have entry to the council on foreign relations you didn't have a story they controlled the press they controlled what news was was released uh, what was printed? Uh, the, 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 the editors and the publishers of every leading newspaper in Canada in the United States was related to the, to the Pratt House, to the Council on Foreign Relations. So you got to realize that they had that, that kind of power. So when Kennedy, I mean, Kennedy was compared with the, the power that this cartel has, the power of any, uh, president or any politician is m- minuscule so uh, yes yeah he's a ceremonial ribbon cutter yeah. <laughs> by yeah I mean, uh, I mean, by comparison i mean they can overnight all they need to do just 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 the shareholders of the fed once again look who owns the fed it's not the american people it's owned by international bankers if they want to bring about a uh, a depression all they need to do is cut Cut back in the money supply. It's very easy. And by the way, they did that. And that was an enormous benefit for the Rockefellers, the Great Depression. They engineered that whole thing. And at the end of the Great Depression, they could move in and buy the leading corporations in the United States for pennies on the dollar. Right. It all happened. Right. You know, they own the entire monopoly board. One has to ask, you know, what's left? What's left for them to own? There's, you see, well, you see it even in in my industry. Uh, they they control everything is con, everything is consolidating now. They, Teddy Roosevelt uh, broke to, or busted the trust, but the trusts are back now. You got to realize that every even in the publishing industry, in the day you had uh, Bantam, Doubleday, Dell, uh, Random House, Penguin, all these, they're all consolidated now. It's all one yeah. firm, one editorial board. 
controlled by the same people. You see consolidation in everything. In everything. Uh all right, uh, we'll uh, take one final time out, come back, and uh, finish up with uh, Paul L. Williams, the co-author of Killing the Planet. We'll talk about David Rockefeller. Did you know, this is something I've heard, dear listener, that when the Queen would make an official visit to the United States, she wouldn't visit the President first. First, she would visit David Rockefeller. At least that's what I've been told. We'll get uh, Paul Williams to confirm or deny on the other side. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. We are back with Paul L. Williams, Ph.D., and the co-author of Killing the Planet. Uh, I mentioned that uh, that legend uh, going into the uh, the break. I've heard that repeatedly. Is it true that when the Queen of England would come to the United States... Her first visit would be to see David Rockefeller. Have you heard that? I, 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 have, I have heard that, and I believe that. And I'm going to tell you why. Uh, <clears throat> David Rockefeller was the founder of the Bilderberg Group, which was established in 1954. Uh, the Bilderberg Group, it, the, the purpose of the Bilderberg Group was to unite all the world into one economic entity, and especially to create Eurasia. Uh, the, a leading member of the Bilderberg Group, almost from the get-go, is Prince Philip, the husband of Queen Elizabeth. So I, 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 they are so tight with the Rockefellers that, you, you know, they're, they're, they're as close as, as any, 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 any people on the planet can be. So I would say absolutely, if he was visiting the United States, he would immediately stop at Rockefeller Center and visit David Rockefeller, or Chase Manhattan Bank and visit David Rockefeller. There's another story I've been told. Uh, this comes from, among others, Daniel Estulin, who has written extensively about the Bilderbergs. And, and yeah. he talks about a Bilderberg meeting in 1991 uh, where a young Arkansas governor, former Arkansas uh-huh. governor, Bill Clinton, was in attendance. Right. Bill Clinton was introduced to David Rockefeller. Right. Uh, David Rockefeller proceeded to give uh, William Jefferson Clinton sort of a master's class on globalism, right. after which he asked Clinton, do you agree or disagree? He said, I'm all in. And Rockefeller supposedly extended his hand and said, congratulations, Mr. President. Right. Uh is that apocryphal? Is that true? Oh, that look, the, the power, absolutely. I mean, they they ha, they have they have controlled almost every election that we've had in the United States. They they've controlled they they control education. They can they control the Supreme Court. They control they, they, people listening to this would think this is really crazy. But look at money controls everything. If you want to understand it. If you want to understand a development, you always have to follow the money. And the money inevitably leads back to the Rockefeller family. So, right. yes, yes. I, 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 the, the relationship between the Clintons, uh, 
the Bushes, the uh, Obama with the with the uh, and even Trump with the Rockefellers is very very deep. Is there a countervailing force? Is there a let's say a dynasty in opposition to the Rockefellers uh, that? I mean, that are they're sort of the two are battling behind the scenes and occasionally it kind of spills out onto the main stage. No, what you had was in in 1998, you had the uh, merger of Amico with BP that that represented people probably the most significant one of the most significant developments of the 20th century. That was a merger of the Rothschilds with the Rockefellers. Amico Ah. with BP. And what that, that merger took place because, really, the Rockefellers became infinitely more powerful. The United States became infinitely more powerful than Great Britain. Right. Now, on the surface, uh, uh, Trump seems to be the antithesis of what the Pilgrim Society and the Rockefellers want. He talks about America first. He talks about yeah. tariffs. He talks about borders. He talks about the nation state. Um, well, and you look at tariff, who's in, who stands in opposition. They're done away with. The, uh, uh, the, uh, Rex Torson, who was his uh, first secretary of state, was, a, of course, before he was appointed, was the executive director of Exxon. Uh, you see things that there are promised that are never delivered. You know, we're going to build a wall. We're going to do this. We're going to pull out of the endless wars, and yet the endless wars go on. We're going to we're going to take control of the CIA, and yet the CIA is still under the control of you know the money cartel. Now, I, 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 Richard, I, I, I had a, 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 some hope in my life for a real change. But that change hasn't taken place. I mean, there's a lot of there's there's a, there's, there's a, a a lot right now of uh, you know uh, a resurgence of nationalism, but no real change. How do we fight back, or is it too late? The, the way you see, the forces are all pushing toward a global government. We're seeing more and more that coming to fruition. Uh, and I, I see it with the laws concerning uh, climate change, for instance, are, are now being imposed on all nations. You, you see organizations like the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. And the, how do you how do you com- combat all that? How do you combat all that? How do you combat the globalization of poverty that's taking place in Canada and the United States? We're saying, oh, that's not. Oh, yes, it is, because. The industries are going to the third world. How do you combat that? How do you combat the endless wars that are going on and on and on and have gone on for generations that that really have no... no, People even know that they were created by false flags, by bogus news, and yet nobody, nobody, nobody cries out against it. It sounds like they have everything locked down. Is there any hope here, Paul? I, I, I think that the, the, the first way it could, it, it, that, that hope could be, it would, would be uh, if, we could get, if we could get control of education where people are really learning something, if, we could, if, 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 if people, believers could take control of their churches, if local people on the, the, like you 
and people that, that, that get involved in Canadian politics that believe and that know that exactly what's taking place, if they would do that, if they would engage, yeah, that's where the hope is. But the hope is not with the people who are funded to run for office. And Boy, that sounds like a pretty daunting, almost by, impossible who are, who are task. Tax or... So, yeah, I, I, that, that is the only hope. You get a show like, like this, where, where, where we're talking, and people, a lot of people will just dismiss this, but some people might actually pick up a copy of that book. I'm not making a dime on the book, by the way. All the proceeds go to the River School of Government. But if they could just get a copy of the book and read it and find out what's going on and saying, I'm going to change this. Locally. That's where it starts. Right. Killing the planet. Uh, You mentioned, you know, people might sit back and say, well, this is too unbelievable. Talk to me about the documentation, the amount of footnoting you've done here. To write a book like this, uh, I I, I can't even tell you. I'm an obsessive compulsive. So uh, I, I I will work maybe 16 hours a day. And when I'm, and I don't, I don't sleep. So I go through the, 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 the there, there are over 15, there's over 1,500 footnotes in that book, and they're all to primary sources. The, the, at the end of the book of Killing the Planet is a classified CIA document. I thought I'd be arrested by now. There's a classified CIA document at the end of that that, that, should, that should drop the scales from anyone's eyes at the end of that book. Wow. Um, and also people need to, should understand, you know, you just can't uh, put a book out there that's just filled with innuendo and speculation. You have to have a book like that lawyered, right? Well, first of all, I mean, I've been sued. I've been sued in Canada for, I've been, and I prevailed. I was sued by leading figures in Canada. I don't know if you're aware of this, Richard, I was sued for $12 million. But I've been at McMaster University, University, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, at I don't have anything. I mean, I used all my funds. When they when they came after me, I said, hell no, I'm, I'm going to fight back. And I did. And I prevailed. And if I could do that, you know, then, you know, I mean, a lot. There still is hope. But yeah, in a book like this, you have to have you have to have all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed because you're going against people with a great deal of money who could crush you, you know. You have to be prepared for that. So the book has to be very well documented. I mean, everything has to be documented. Every sentence has to be documented. And it has to be very well vetted. You didn't have to and how do, uh, how do folks get a hold uh, of a copy of Killing the Planet, Paul? Oh, you could get it from any book, uh, you know, major book outlet, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. What's in it, the huge... The, the huge book outlet? Uh, Indigo. Indigo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Indigo, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah, it'll be available anywhere. All right. And we've linked up to that at strangeplanet.ca. If you want to just click on the book title, I think it but links up to uh, to Amazon. I leave you is how important a show like yours is. They're not, they're very few and far between. They're very few, get, they're very few hosts who are as well-educated, well-informed as you are. And I, I've been on hundreds and hundreds of shows. And this show is very important. And, uh, oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. And it's uh, always a delight. Let's uh, talk again soon. Okay, my friend. Paul thank L. You. Williams, Killing the Planet. All right. When we come back, open lines. We'll roll out those numbers in just a moment. 
I'll be waiting for your call right here on The Conspiracy Show. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Howdy to each and every one of you listening in on our flagship station, AM 740 and 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio here in Toronto. Hiya to those tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America, those streaming us on the Zoomer Radio app, those streaming us on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet, those of you in the YouTube live chat who join us every week without fail, those who catch this show as a podcast, which is uh, available wherever fine podcasts are found. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Open lines this hour, and I've said it many times, we don't get to do open lines nearly enough, but tonight is the night. Yes, indeed, just you, me, and the telephone, friends. And I am game for just about anything, keeping in mind this is the conspiracy show, so I'm not going to entertain calls about sports. I do love to talk political intrigue and subterfuge backstage in the global theater, as my good friend, media scientist Nelson Thal likes to call it. I'm also receptive to calls about the strange and the unexplained. If you have a story you think might raise the hackles on the back of my neck, well, then I am all ears. Yes, indeed. So. Let me give you the numbers in the greater Toronto area. You will dial 416-360-0740. Again, this is in the greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740. And if you're any place else, just about any place else on the planet, then you will use this number. It's toll-free, 1-866-740-4740, Now, while I'm waiting for the phone lines to fill up, uh, this would be a good time to give you a heads up on uh, next week's program. Next week, of course, the second Sunday of the month, and that means a visit from one of our relatively new regular contributors, The discoverer of reverse speech, David John Oates, will be here. He joins us in the first half of the first hour, the first segment, really. And uh, he'll bring along some more reversals live from his home in Australia. And I have to tell you, I'm getting a lot of emails from from listeners about this segment. Excuse me. It it would appear, uh, based on the the voluminous mail, that uh, many, many, many of you are enjoying these reversals. Uh, In fact, this past week, I posted to my various social media platforms uh, a link to a recent episode of David's podcast, Reverse Speech Radio. And the episode features reverse speech of serial killer Richard Ramirez, uh, the Night Stalker, serial killer. And boy, did I get a big response from that. Uh, People are uh, finding that particular episode of Reverse Speech Radio, listening to it. 
and uh, are just uh, amazed, shocked, and so forth, what they're hearing. In fact, Reverse Speech Radio, they've done an entire series on uh, various uh, serial killers, John Wayne Gacy, um, uh, and uh, other, well, Jimmy Savile, of course, the, uh, the pedophile uh, from the United Kingdom, Jeffrey Epstein, on and on it goes. So David John Oates joins us uh, next Sunday in the first hour. I'm not sure what he's bringing along. Last month, he brought along some uh, uh, amazing reversals from our prime minister, Justin Trudeau. So we will see what's in his bag of tricks next week. Also next week, Don Jeffries, the author of Hidden History and uh, his newest book, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963. He will return to the program. We've been kind of slowly working through uh, our way through his book. It's a hefty tome, I have to tell you. Well, you can imagine nearly 300 years of history. And uh, he's been on uh, this program. He's also been on my podcast. And as I say, we're kind of slowly working our way through it. Uh, so, Don, if we if we could do a show once a week, Every week with Don Jeffries on this book, we would fill up at, at easily a year's worth of shows. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll uh, cram as much as we can into about 90 minutes. Don Jeffries, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963. That's next week. And then the following week, Thomas Horn, a longtime author, broadcaster, uh, the CEO of Skywatch TV. He's a publisher. You may be familiar familiar with uh, Defender Press. Uh, now Thomas was uh, Thomas Horn was originally scheduled uh, to be on for tonight for two hours, uh, but he had to reschedule on his end, and uh, so he's scheduled for two weeks from tonight. And we'll discuss his new book, Thomas Horn's new book that is causing quite a storm, the Wormwood. Prophecy, NASA, Donald Trump, and a cosmic cover-up of end-time proportions. That's quite a title. Title: uh, The Wormwood Prophecy. Uh, that's Thomas Horn coming up in two weeks. All right. Let us launch into uh, 55 minutes of open lines. And we will begin with Bonnie from Mississauga. Good evening. Good morning, Bonnie. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing pretty well for 87 years old, who never misses your program. I oh, might not God bless you. <laughs> I might not understand the subject matter, but I still listen and hope for the best, you know. But, oh, God bless you. Thank okay. you. Okay. Uh, I'm very nervous, so forgive me if I start to stammer. Bonnie, uh, you don't need me, to be um, nervous. 400 CCSs. And, uh, and there was many movies in there, but there were some tape documentaries, and one was called... Uh, Blair Witch Project. Have you heard of that one back in 1994? Well, yes. I, I, I remember going to see that. It was a work of fiction. It was supposed to look like a documentary, oh, Bonnie, really? but it wasn't really. Yeah. They made it look like a documentary, uh, but it's more what they call a, I don't know what the word for that is. It's not a mockumentary, but it's, it's a faux documentary. It's shot in a particular style. And they make it, I mean, it was very convincing. You're right. Oh my it was very convincing. gracious, because I still wanted to know what they, if they ever found anything about that project. So and did you, so, you went, you watched that at home, did you, or? No, I watched it on some kind of a documentary that had been taped by the person who gave me all these oh, things. Oh, I see. Okay. So it wasn't for real then. 
Okay, well, thank you. Well, well, that's all right. That one wasn't particularly for real. But, you know, who knows, you know, Bonnie, that there may be others. Obviously, there are many, many strange and unexplained things that happen to people alone in the woods at night. You can well imagine. Oh, yes. Well, anyway, I, I appreciate your taking the time to take the call. And I'm wishing you and your family the best of everything in the new year and a Merry Christmas and all that jazz. A Merry Christmas and all that jazz. God bless you, Bonnie. 87 years young and listens every week. Thank you so much for your your uh, your okay. support. I appreciate thank, that. Thank you very much again. Right. Bye-bye. All right. You have a good night. Uh, God bless her. Uh, James from Toronto is joining us. James, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thank you, Mr. Serrett. You know, E.T. might be responsible for creating us almost 13.5 or 13 or 14 billion years ago. Some might think, right? Um, that's one are, theory, yes. Yes, that's a possible theory. Then there are other possible theories, but I was just pondering this while I was listening to you. Uh, and the Earth is about, what, 4 billion years old? On the order of 4, mm-hmm. four and a half billion, yeah, correct. Billion, I guess, or 500 million. But the universe, I'm talking more specifically about the universe. Now, if E.T. were responsible for the creation of the Big Bang way back then, I was thinking 15 billion years or 13.5 billion years. That's a long time. You, you, would, think, <laughs> yes. you would think that there, they might, the possibility, they might be long gone, dead, gone. Because I know the human race is not going to last 13 billion years. They're not going to even last maybe 1,000 years or 10,000 years. So 13 billion years, I doubt if... If the possibility that E.T. created us, they're, they're not around no more. We're, we're alone. We're alone. Well, I happen to believe we are alone, at least in this dimension. Mm-hmm. And uh, that doesn't curry me much favor with the uh, the UFO community. That's right. Me now, too. something you said is interesting that, you know, if they created us. Right. Uh, and then who created them? That's true. Uh, That's- you see? So, uh that doesn't, you know, rule out the existence of a higher being. Well, and aliens, I mean, if they created the universe, that means that they exist outside of time and space. That's true. Which means that they are not physical entities. They are not extraterrestrials. They would have to be considered interdimensionals, so which if, is more along the lines of my thinking. I think the pilots of these craft, if we're not talking about you know, uh, a special access prog- program, a, a black op, a sophisticated uh, piece of aircraft that was made by human hands, if which I think accounts for about 90% of the sightings these days, including these large triangular craft. If we're not talking about those, I think what's piloting these, uh, these UFOs, these unidentified aerial phenomena, I think they're interdimensional. They could be from another dimension. But yes, like those, the, ang- the angelic realm. Perhaps. Maybe, but I think those ETs that might have created us 15 or 13.5 billion years ago from the Big Bang mm-hmm. Theory, they could be completely gone. But there might be other ones out there. But, you know, I, that's what I was thinking about that when I was listening to you. That could be a possibility. Right. Sure, sure. I mean, if you consider that if there were other uh, life forms, sentient, rational uh, life forms in the universe, intelligence, in other words, yep. the the odds that that their civilization would coincide with ours. I mean, we have existed 
but uh, but the wink of an eye oh, yeah. in cosmic terms. So you're right. You if were, they are, I think I was. No, I was. I was listening to the show, and they were saying that we're only like three seconds into the whole expansion of the universe. Like the whole, the whole universe is like ninety billion years light years across. And I heard someone mention that we're only like three seconds into that time period. Yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable. You know, three seconds. Not much. Three tiny seconds. I enjoy your show, Richard. I listen to you every Sunday, and it's even a greater pleasure when I can hear you on coast. So, ah, well, thank it. you very much, James. Both, Take care, man. I, Bye. Good to hear from you. I'll be back in the uh, the coast air chair Saturday, December the 8th, and Sunday, sorry, Saturday, December 7th, and uh, Sunday, December the 8th. Ah, think of, come to think of it, both both big anniversaries. The 7th, of course, the uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, that would be 70, the 78th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. And uh, December 8th, of course, will be the 39th anniversary of the, um, the murder of John Lennon. All right. Uh, let's see. Who do we have next? We have, is it Maureen from Barrie? Is it Maureen? Yeah, it is. Hey, Maureen, welcome aboard. How are you? Okay. Um, last time I spoke to you, it was kind of something weird and something weird again. But um, I have had dreams where they are so real that you swear you're loving them. And uh, it isn't until you wake up that you realize, no, this didn't really happen, eh? Now, a couple of weeks like- ago, I fell, fell asleep, and I was woken up with the ringing of my phone. Well, I live in the basement apartment, and, you know, uh, the other tenants and that, if they figure them out, they have no problems with coming down into my place and that. But anyhow, as I'm fiddling around trying to find my phone and that to answer it, I see someone come down the stairs and head into my bathroom. So I finally get the phone, and the phone hasn't rang. There was no call, no activity on the phone for like two days. So I get up and I'm not scared as I am perturbed that someone's snooping around downstairs, eh? Go into the bathroom, there's no one there. <laughs> and there's no way for them to get out of the bathroom without my right, seeing them. Right. Uh, so the the phone didn't ring and there was no one in your apartment. Yeah, nothing. Eh? And yet So you it was like, so you, I don't remember so you waking up. That's the big part. Like, I mean, usually you and I have one of those dreams, like, no, when I'm awake. Right. And this time I didn't. It's just like just carrying on either. It was all reality or <laughs> all been a dream for the last couple of weeks or something. Right. Dreams are funny things, aren't they? Especially yeah. uh, when you when you do something called lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of lucid dreaming? Yeah. A, lu- a lucid dream. Yeah. It seems so real. And uh, it's almost like you can take control of your dream. And uh, I've had a, a, a couple lucid dreams, not very often. Uh, yeah, that's but, often uh, not common with me. But, uh, as I and said, I've also had dreams where I, I have memories, in fact. I have memories. I wonder if this mm-hmm. has happened to you, Maureen. You get to a certain age, and I can no longer remember whether it's an actual memory or it's something that I dreamt. Has that happened to you? things that I wonder about as I said this was only this was only a sh- couple of weeks ago that this happened mm-hmm. and yeah. as I said it's just 
it's just odd that I don't remember waking up. Like, I mean, as I said, I've had lucid dreams before, and uh, when I wake up, I realize, okay, yeah, that dream was scary because it was so real. But this one, right. I don't even remember waking up. Like, it's just, uh, but isn't it odd that that the the incident it coincided the f- you you thought the phone rang and then there was someone in the apartment it's almost like the phone was ringing to warn you yeah and yet as i said there was no phone call and there was no one in my uh, apartment hmm. all right maureen next time you have one of those strange dreams you give me a call okay <laughs> yeah. i'll let you know all right hey, sweet dreams you. have a have a nice dream tonight yeah and merry christmas to you Merry Christmas to you. God bless you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope Maureen has a dream where she's got a nice one of those fruity drinks with the umbrella in it. You know, a nice cocktail. And she's in a chaise long, somewhere in a, a nice stretch of white sand, overlooking a tropical sea, turquoise. She looks down into the water and she can see starfish and sea turtles. It's a gentle breeze. Maybe the slight scent of jasmine in the air. That's the kind of dream I want Maureen from Barry to have tonight. Uh, let's say hi to Gary here in Toronto. Gary, yes, welcome yeah, aboard, well, sir. How are you? I'm fine. First of all, Richard, I, w- I wanted to thank you. Uh, I've sent you emails asking for information about shows, and you've been very prompt with your uh, replies, and I really appreciate that. Oh, well, I, I aim to please, sir. I sometimes... Uh, they, uh, the, I get buried under the, uh, underneath the emails and there's no climbing out, but I do the best I can. So yeah, I'm glad I was able to help you out. I'm, I'm glad for that. Now your, your screener, uh, condensed it down to, to uh, fake news, but basically what it is, is just the frustration that I find. And I'm sure a lot of listeners to your show have found when you cite facts to people like, for instance, or, you know, Paul Williams cited, you know, he has all those footnotes. And you check them in code packs, and you still have people who dismiss it as well as not true. Like, for instance, the Federal Reserve being privately owned. I have people right. I talk to, and they say, no, it's, it's government. I said, no, it's not. You know, and I just wanted to express that. For, I must, you, you must find the same thing, then, because sometimes when you're talking to people, they dismiss facts as conspiracy. Sure. Sure, that's that's uh, the way that term is being used now. It's a, it's a cudgel. Uh, to to beat down uh, someone, metaphorically speaking, of course. At least I hope <laughs> it's metaphorical. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, to stifle to stifle debate. Well, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Well, uh, why do people believe in conspiracies? Because conspiracies actually happen from time that's to time. Right. That's why. That's, that, yeah, that, that's correct. And, and that's the problem is that once you dismiss it, Conspiracy theorists, then there's no more investigation on their part. They are, they just dismiss it. And I, I guess I'm losing faith in the abilities of, of human beings to reason because I find, you know, the ad hominem argument is used, dismisses a conspiracy theorist, or they'll just, they want to believe what, but they want to believe, and it doesn't matter, you know, what facts you present to them. You know, and I, I find it pretty frustrating. That's all. That's basically. Well, people that are, that are asleep, uh, sometimes it's best not to try and wake them. They used to say that about sleepwalkers, you know, if you wake, try to wake them, uh, it, it may not end well. So maybe that's the lesson is 
what's that line Jesus said, you know, to the, his disciples as he sent them out into the world? Uh, you know, um, if you know if they don't want to hear the message, just wipe the sand from your feet and keep on moving. Like just get up and walk away. That's I I, I guess yes. I guess when I was listening to to Paul Williams, there, I was thinking there. I wonder if there is any hope because when you try to wake people up, they don't want to be woken up. And, you know, it makes me wonder how are we going to, you know, bring awareness where the people just want to go to work, come home and kick, you know, cook their dinner and watch sports. And that's it. Um, well, anyway. because everything here is is temporal. Uh, the earth, it, it, uh, this is ephemeral. And as a as a um, as a Christian, I, you know, I, I believe that ultimately, uh, good wins out in the end. And um, we may not see it played out here on earth, necessarily, uh, in our lifetime, but ultimately the good, good will triumph over evil. And that's what we're talking about here, really, is, is evil. Uh, that's yeah. the ultimate conspiracy, right? And who, who is really running the world? And I, I think it's Satan. I think it is. Uh, he works through different people and different systems. Right. Right. But uh, listen, I want to thank you for calling, Gary. I hope you'll call again sometime. We have to do open lines more often. Okay. Uh, we'll take a quick time out, come back, more calls await as we uh, head on into the second half of our open line section right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Just a reminder, I have a, uh, a newsletter now. It's a free monthly newsletter, and it's called Inner Sanctum. And uh, it's real easy to subscribe. All you need to do is register at my website. If you go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, you can do it right now. It'll take but a second, a few seconds. Once you're on the website, you'll notice at the top under the banner, in large blue letters, it just says, uh, sign up for my newsletter. Just click on that, enter your name, first name, last name, and your email address, and then Bingo, bango, every month you'll start receiving Inner Sanctum uh, once a month. It'll arrive right in your email inbox. It's absolutely free. And uh, again, all you need to do is register. Now, the bonus is once you register for the newsletter that you'll get, and December's issue is just days away. So uh, if you haven't signed up yet, you've missed October, November, but you can still get on board now for the December issue before that goes out. Uh, strangeplanet.ca. And then in in addition to getting the free newsletter, you'll also be automatically entered into the draw for, it's a monthly draw for Strange Planet gear, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, socks, phone cases, tote bags, uh, and more. And really cool designs. Uh, in fact, if you go to the the, uh, the bottom of the strangeplanet.ca website, you'll see a button for my store. You can click on that. So again, sign up. It's quick. It's easy. You get the newsletter for free and you get a chance to win some really cool uh, Strange Planet merch. 
All right. Uh, before we head back to uh, open lines, and thank you uh, for those waiting on the line and being patient, uh, I, want, I saw this story. This is amazing. Uh, out of China, Reuters is reporting that China is aiming to complete and start generating power from an experimental nuclear fusion reactor by around 2040. Nuclear fusion, folks. We're talking about it's like harnessing the power of the sun. We're not talking nuclear fission, which is the uh, the current uh, mode of producing nuclear energy. A senior scientist involved in the project said, as it works to develop and com- commercialize a game-changing source of clean energy, China is preparing to restart its stalled domestic nuclear reactor program after a three-year moratorium on new approvals, but at a, but at a state laboratory in the city of Hefei, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, or Hefei, in China's Anhu province, uh, scientists are looking beyond crude atom splitting in order to pursue nuclear fusion, where power is generated by combining nuclei together, an endeavor likened by skeptics to putting the sun in a box. While nuclear fusion could revolutionize energy production with pilot projects targeting energy output at 10 times the input, think about that, energy output 10 times the input. That's what we call overunity, folks. No fusion project has up to now created a net energy increase. Critics say commercially viable fusion remains 50 years in the future. China has already spent around $6 billion yuan, or $893 million, on a large donut-shaped installation known as a tokamak, which uses extremely high temperatures to boil hydrogen isotopes into a plasma, fusing them together and releasing energy. If that energy can be utilized, it will require only tiny amounts of fuel and create virtually no radioactive waste. Okay, well, we will track that with interest. Nuclear fusion. That would definitely be a, uh, a game changer. All right, uh, let's say hi to, uh, here's another guy, James from Toronto. Hello, James. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Richard. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Welcome aboard. Um, I, I'm not going to really uh, detail it too much, but um, it, it concerns the correctional system in Toronto. All right, the Toronto City Jail? Uh, yeah, uh, Toronto South, sir. Okay. And um, so um, I have a, a thing called an intermittent sentence. And All right. I, I have to go to uh, over the weekends. But when I get there, I, I, I get treated unfairly. How do you mean? They treat me like uh, like I have court or something the next day. I don't follow. What do you mean they treat you like you have court? What does that mean? Well, but basically it means like I, I go there and then they wake me up. I only get like four hours, if, if I'm lucky, of sleep. 
and then they wake me up, and then they they give me this orange jacket and stuff like that to wear, and well, they just me off the court. <laughs> that's that's traditional prison garb, is it not? Well, I I understand that, sir, but then I've I've heard people tell me that um, um, they they don't get they go to court at uh, six o'clock in the morning. And they don't get back till 10 o'clock at night. All right. But that's not happening to you. You're, you're not going to court. You've already been tried and sentenced, right? And you're serving weekends? Yes, sir. Now, I don't know what you did. I don't need to know what you did, James. Uh, but the fact that you're serving your sentence on weekends seems to me to be a pretty good shake. Um, that's not something that I is afforded to most convicted criminals, as far as I know. Uh, I don't know what's going on with them waking you up at, uh, did you say four in the morning? About that, yes, sir. Right, right. Not sure what's going on there. Uh, but uh, aside from that... I also uh, have a question, sir. Okay. Um, I heard that the Ontario government, the, the Ontario government, like because I know like how prisons are uh, privatized and stuff like that, but the, the Ontario government makes $80 off of each inmate every day. Never heard that before. And our prisons aren't privatized here, as far as I know. I know they are in the United States to, cert to a certain extent, uh, but not here. In fact, you're costing the taxpayer uh, a considerable amount of money, I would, th I would think. Uh, so, no. I, I uh, unless someone can show me documents proving otherwise, I would have to say that's that's not true. James, thank you for the call and okay. uh, all thank the best. Much, sir. My mom said right. hi, thank by you. the way. Well, you say uh, hello and Merry Christmas right back. OK, thank you very much. Thank sir. you so yeah. much. All right. God bless. OK, uh, let's see. Do we have time for one more? Um, we've got two minutes. I'm kind of betwixt and between. What do you think, Owen? Do you want to buzz me in the ear? Do I have time for another one? Let's do a quick one, he says. Well, Owen's the boss, so let's do it. Melanie's in Toronto. Lots of calls from Toronto. And Hi, why not? wishing everybody hey. a blessed Christmas and a happy New Year's while I still have time on the phone. Uh, I'm All gonna, right. uh, this man just jotted my, uh, uh, my memory about something that I'm aware of, but I just wanted to call and say we shouldn't be afraid of aliens or nuclear fission or whatever that'll kill us. What's going to kill us is the collapse of our institutions because trust is being lost in them. And if we lose trust in our institutions, people become depressed. We know depression is a very big thing in, around the world because people have lost their hope. When you can't trust your government, you can't trust to get justice, you can't trust. And sometimes people are dismissed when they, like you said, conspiracy. They're not conspiracies. They're insights, which I believe some want to label that. Label that. But just to let you know, I'm a senior citizen from the East Bloc originally, from Ukraine. Um, mm -hmm. And I just want to let you know, I never thought that I would see in this country the injustice and experience the uh, lack of concern for people. You know where money is wasted in our economy? It's not even the jails. It's police officers who are wonderful and they're great. But then there are those who are not and who do false arrests. The money that it costs to arrest somebody falsely out of vengeance, out of anger, out of abuse, out of ignorance, 
and then having to put them through the court system. That's what we have to investigate. How many arrests are made frivolously, which then end up in court wasting even thousands of dollars and, you know, and, and, it needed not be. That needed not to happen. So we wasted $100,000 on false arrests. Now, that's something that you could inquire and find out, whether it's uh, in the news programs or investigative journalism. How much money is wasted on false arrests where people are proven innocent just to keep the numbers going with the arrests and keep the coffers filled? Mm. This is well. Where- that's, it's a good question. Per- I don't know. I have no. I've got to well, run I here, tell you Melanie. A but it's a personal story that would shock I got, you. Another time, we'll have to another do that. Time, but thank now, you. No, maybe on in an okay. email. All right, got to run. Thank have you, Melanie. God bless. Evening. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Yeah, I don't know what the data is. I haven't seen any data. False arrests. Who's to say? Does it happen? Absolutely. Uh, is it the norm? By no means. Uh, anyway, we'll. Um, We'll get to Phil from West Virginia when we come back. What's on Phil's mind? We shall find out when The Conspiracy Show continues. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740. Or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. You're still up. Thanks for the company. We had an earlier caller wondering about what to do about the state of the world and how, according to Paul Williams, our guest in the first hour, the uh, the elites, the powers that be, the Rockefellers, if we're going to name them, the Rockefellers have everything locked down. They own the Monopoly board. We are nothing but useless eaters. What can we do? How can we fight back? And uh, I've been sitting here thinking about that, and I, a song popped into my head. I played it the other night, uh, bumper music on Coast to Coast, Uh Willie Nelson's son. Is it Lucas Nelson and the Promise of the Real? That's his band. If if you've never heard them, Lucas sounds a lot like the old man, I have to tell you. The song was called Turn Off the News and Build a Garden. And, uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Because we do get a lot of despair through the news. It's the same story, right? It just gets recycled. The names change, maybe, and the dates change, but the same processes seem to be at work over and over and over, and we're just on this hamster wheel going round and round, wondering how we can possibly get off. So sometimes, not always, it's important to listen to the news and get updates, especially local news. Uh but a lot of the, the the national and international news, I believe, is manipulated and it's fraught with uh, errors of omission and fakery and so forth. And it can wear you down. And so sometimes we need to decompress. So turn off the news and then focus the attention on, well, Lucas Nelson talks about building a garden, which you can do. Sure, grow a garden. My mother-in-law talks about 
gardening as therapy. She likes to go out and, uh, you know, take some pruning shears and do a little weeding. It's therapy for her. So building a garden is good. Also, just doing good works. Volunteer, especially Christmas. We had a, a, an ad running or a promo, a PSA rather, running earlier in the program for the Scott Mission here in town. Uh, who have been around a long time. I think it's going on 100 years. 70, 80 maybe. I could be wrong. I got the envelope in the mail and uh, um, we threw in a few coins to help buy some Christmas dinners for the needy. But it's those kind of little things that you can do to fight back, really. Kick holes in the darkness, light a candle, don't curse the darkness, all of that. I know those are cliches, but it's true. Good works. Even if we, at this time of year, because our minds and our hearts tend to be focused on on doing good works, it should happen all year round, I know, but we we tend to think about it, I think, more at Christmas. At least I do. I'm guilty of that. Uh, But sometimes it's important to try and take on even more than you think you can manage in terms of trying to alleviate suffering in the world. That's ultimately, I think, how we win. That's how we fight back. Turn off the news. Build a garden. Phil from West Virginia is on the air. How are you, Phil? Well, thank you, Richard. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I taught physics for 40 years, so when I heard your uh, China fusion news, I I hope something uh, comes out of that. I believe cold fusion was suppressed, uh, which is very sad that we technology is often used against us instead of being used for us. So now, hang on. Let me ask you something. Since you brought up cold fusion and course Pons and Fleischmann yes. uh, supposedly uh, figured out how to achieve a cold fusion. And then it was later, as you say, suppressed. It was it was stated that no, they didn't achieve it. It's, they sort of went back and forth on that. So you're saying that Pons and Fleischmann did in fact achieve it, and it was suppressed. Yes, I believe so. I don't believe they totally understood what was going on, um, and that's why they were easily attacked. But there were other people that that uh, did variations of what they did in the lab and got more energy out than what they put in. And when you get more energy out, <laughs> as in this cold fusion news, uh, you've got something that has great potential. So over um, unity, over unity. Now. Yeah. What is your, your, you've been teaching, you taught physics for 40 years? Yes, I'm, I'm a substitute teacher now, but I taught high school okay. physics, biology, chemistry, all the sciences. Right. Did you happen to hear our program last week uh, with Paul LaViolette? No, actually, I, I don't usually tune into this station. I've heard you on coast, and I don't think, I don't think things happen by chance. I think it was appointed that I was to turn this on and, and hear you because I have something important that I really want to bring to your attention. Um, okay. I'm going to get you to hold on. And if I can just hold on, cause I want to hear what you have to say. We're going to take a time out here 
And uh, we'll get back to Phil from West Virginia. Beautiful state, by the way. I took the boys on a baseball road trip down to uh, Cincinnati. And uh, then we went to Pittsburgh, but we drove through West Virginia and uh, Wheeling, West Virginia. Beautiful, beautiful state. I want to go back there sometime. Anyway, uh, Phil from West Virginia, physics teacher for four decades, has something important to tell us. And we'll get to that call right after this. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Just a reminder, my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, drops three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you can subscribe and listen at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. All right, back to Phil from West Virginia, a physics teacher for 40 years, who has something uh, pressing to tell us. Phil, go ahead. The, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you very much. I was listening to Paul Williams, and I sensed the uh, desperation both in, in his voice and in your voice. In other words, what can we do? And, and I thank you for saying that, that, that there is hope and that you have to do something. So I'm just going to give you a, a touch of, of what I have here that's important for everyone, especially in, in America, but there are repercussions for people in Canada also, and that is that after a five-year legal battle, um, I have an arbitration award, which is a permanent injunction against the federal government, um, we ask them to show their authority to do many of the things that they're doing, which we know there are no constitutional authorities. And uh, when they wouldn't answer, um, we took it to arbitration, and we have an arbitration award, which, like I said, is a, a permanent injunction. And it was filed on behalf of all American people. In other words, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a uh, class action suit or a key TAM. And so at this point, injunction uh, against what though, what, what does the injunction prevent the government from doing going forward? Well, the injunction is an order and it's an order for the federal government to provide remedy and relief because they were found to be in violation of the contract, which is called the constitution. So, like I say, we took it to a third-party independent arbitrator, um, which is something that is lawful and legal, okay? Uh, as a matter of fact, it was just recently upheld in the U.S. Supreme Court, and Kavanaugh wrote the decision. Uh, it goes back to um, pre-biblical times, and even Solomon was a, an arbitrator when, when the two women went to him uh Saying that the, a child was, you know, each each claimed ownership right. of the child, and of course he acted as an arbitrator. Or people go to someone sure. like Judge but Judy. And Phil, and they, what does this mean, though, in practical terms? People listening saying, "Okay, so what does this mean, really? What is it? What? what so what's the result of this?" The result is that those who opt in, those who actually. Uh, believe that the government should be held accountable and have this injunction can actually exercise um, relief from it. Uh, they would have immunity from the government since the government wouldn't have 
uh, uh, legal means to control them. In other words, when, when there's a contract, when you have a contract with someone and the contract is broken, um, you can offer a new contract. And that's what we actually did. And the arbitrator agreed that the contract that they had was breached and that our contract was lawfully um, submitted and the government didn't argue the point about our contract. So what's, what is your contract uh, with, with the government? Does it, does it have anything to do with income tax? Uh, yes, it does. Income tax, uh, land ownership. It provides uh, land patent ownership for land. Um, it, it's like this, uh, uh, Richard. If, if a ambassador uh, or someone who has a diplomatic immunity comes to this country, they are not subject to the laws of the country because they are not party to the Constitution, you see. Right. Okay. Right. So, so there is a dedicated website that, that I wish you and people would look at because every American has the opportunity to opt in. 1,500 okay. people plus have. And the next thing will be uh, in, uh, uh, settlement for enforcement, which will be done in Congress. Uh, starting in January. So it, it's just an option for people who believe that government should be held accountable. And if government uh, doesn't live up to their uh, side of the contract, then you actually have the legal lawful right to to offer a new contract. And we so you so you have fifteen hundred people who have what basically opted out and are no longer paying income tax. Is that the idea? Well, that that's what will happen with it, with when the uh, award is is uh, settled in, in either uh, the U.S. legislature by a bill on the private side or by an executive order that we are giving Trump. We're giving him the opportunity to do it by executive order, but it can be done uh, by the uh, United States legislature for remedy and. But relief. what? But Phil, what happens if? 300 Americans, well, tax-paying Americans would be what, 100 and however many million Americans pay taxes. What if they all opt out? Well, uh, this gives, uh, this puts the government on notice, and I would like to see them clean up their act so that I could contract with them. You follow me? In other words, there have been 18 unconstitutional wars since I was born in 1950. Now, for me to fund the government to have unconstitutional wars, um, that's actually, I think, pretty immoral, isn't it? I would agree. I would agree. Or for me to find I think, I think most aspects of the, I think most aspects of income tax are immoral, quite frankly. It's coercion. As a matter of fact, income tax is not even constitutional. <laughs> okay. yeah, I have heard that argument. So, uh, so do you want to give us the website? Do you want to give us the website, sure, Phil? Sure, the website is Hudok, H-U-D-O-K dot info. Hudok, H-U-D-O-K dot info. It's a dedicated website uh, for the five-year battle and the final fruition uh, that we had. So please take a look at it, uh, Richard, and, and I would love to do a show with you sometime. Are you the con- Do you have a contact uh, on the website where we can reach you? Yes, there is a question and uh, a email that you can send questions to. So just direct it to me. I'm Phil, Phil Hudock. So you can direct the question to me and then I will, that's how you can get to me because I don't want to give out my, my phone no, number. No, understood. Yeah. Well, Phil, I'll be in touch because I would like to drill down a little deeper on this 
and uh, maybe uh, certainly get you on the podcast in the short term. And then who knows? Long term, who knows? The sky's the limit. All right, Phil. Thank fascinating. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye-bye. I'm going to try and squeeze Glenn in from our nation's capital. Glenn is in Ottawa. Glenn, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Uh, good evening, Mr. Stark. Thanks very much for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, my pleasure. A little off topic here tonight, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm 63 years old, and I wanted to get something off my chest. Uh, I guess it's concerning uh, disclosure. When I was 15 years old, I had a sighting. I was with two other people. And um, when we returned to my home, of course, we were pretty excited. And we started explaining it to my parents. And they laughed us out of the house very quickly. So I learned to keep my mouth shut. And I was able to uh, keep a top secret clearance for most of my life. But I've never told anybody about what happened that that night and this uh, sighting was um, up close and personal there was no question about what we had seen and Richard if it ever happens to you the first thing that'll come in your mind is this is not of this earth um, uh, I don't know um, how, how long I'm you know, going to be around, but I just wanted to tell you um, uh, what happened. And the question remains in my mind, you know, this issue of disclosure, uh, we discuss it, and, uh, you know, Richard, we have uh, the Americans, we have the Canadians, but what about everybody else in the world? Wouldn't someone come out and say, yeah, guy, the gig is up? Well, people are starting to say the gig is up and the Navy in the United States is kind of being dragged a little bit, kicking and screaming in that direction. Now they have this other this new protocol for their Navy pilots where it's easier for them to report uh, these sightings. And of course, we are seeing some major movement with the media as of December 2017 in that New York Times article about the uh, Advanced Aerial Threat Assessment Program. Uh, so things are moving, actually, uh, well, relative to other years, you might even say at a breakneck speed. <laughs> Previously, it was at a glacial speed. However, listen, Glenn, I'm, I'm sadly I'm out of time. I'd like you to call again. I'm going to do um, in uh, in two weeks, uh, the 15th, the 22nd of December, I'm going to do more open lines. I'm going to do another hour. I hope you'll call in and you can tell us uh, some more details about your sighting. Oh, certainly. Thanks so much, okay. Richard. Much appreciated. Glenn, thank you. All right. There. That's the date. December 22nd. We'll do uh, another hour of open lines. Okay. Well, that is it for me. My thanks to Owen and uh, uh, Ryan, as always. Couldn't do it without you, boys. Gentlemen, I should say. And uh, in the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Or at least up the stairs. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.